Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirty and gritty. Yeah, it actually sounds like a song. That's right, it was. That's right, Loving Spoonful. Jeez, okay. Anyways, on this episode of Harford County Living, we're going to be discussing some summer safety tips and some things you need to know about, you know, during the summer with the Harford County Health Department, whether it's about pool inspection, Lyme disease, of course, you know, you got the ticks out there, which are all year long, uh, boating safety, pool safety, and of course, your skin you know, skin cancer and everything. So we're going to be talking about that on this episode of Harford County Living. But before we get into it, I want to thank everybody. You guys are subscribing to the podcast and listening, and it has making us grown tremendously. It's, it, I, I can't believe it. I looked at the stats this morning, and we actually have over 20,000 listeners this month. It's not downloads. You know, your listeners are going to be more. I think for the month, we have over 10,000 downloads already. This is for the month of June. So I want to thank you all for that. And as you know, of course, you can listen to us online or you can download it to your favorite app, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, you know, your Android devices were on there. So I want to thank you all for that. And everybody, please have a great summer and keep listening to us. the Harford County Living Podcast with Rich Bennett. Thank you for coming and please send any suggestions or comments to podcast at harfordcountyliving.com. The Harford County Living Podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes can be found at harfordcountyliving.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorites RRS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's join Rich Bennett and his special guest. I'd like to welcome everybody to Harford County Living. We are sitting here today with the health department, and we have several people in here. But what we're going to talk about is, since it's summer, summer safety. That could be with the pool, that could be with the sun, mosquitoes, ticks. Well, actually, ticks are all year round, right? Could be a little bit of everything. So uh, we're actually going to start with Lisa because Lisa handles emergency preparedness and it's our favorite time of the season, right? Hurricane season? Yeah. <laughs> Hurricane season is from June 1st to November 30th. Now, how's it looking this year? Not, not as many predicted, right? It's just the normal predict. They're not, you know, predicting anything higher than okay. what's normally expected. Um, but, you know, our hurricanes are <clears throat> generally termed hurricane because they're over the Atlantic Ocean and the Eastern Pacific Ocean. And typically, the, scientifically, they're called tropical cyclones. But they're pretty powerful storms. I mean, we're looking at water bit. and wind. So uh, we are, we're always looking at what's going on over the, over the oceans in terms of the water temperature uh, because it's usually over 80 degrees. That that's when we start looking at the potential for, you know, movement. Um, so the warmer the water, the worse it gets. Because <laughs> isn't water ocean water usually warmest in like October? Um, I don't know. Not I don't know if that's that that would be typical. Okay. Um, it's just that that's why the Pacific Ocean doesn't. You don't see hurricanes over the Pacific because it's typically seventy to seventy five degrees. And that 80 degrees weather, um, water over the Atlantic is a lot of times is what triggers, you know, or, or what creates the energy with the hurricane. So that's why, you know, why it's do we get the warmer water? <laughs> <laughs> I never knew. I never knew there was that much of a difference between Pacific yeah. and Atlantic. Yeah, but that's why we don't have any hurricanes in California. Well, we get the Gulf Stream. Yeah, think about that. We had the Gulf Stream. Yeah. Woohoo! Mm, and now all the climate change and the currents yes. changing and the prevailing, yes. you know, yeah. jet stream. Yeah. That's well, another topic, though. <laughs> 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 With emergency preparedness when it comes to hurricanes, and then everybody thinks tornadoes. Mm -hmm. This is the one that baffles me. I don't know if you can answer this or not. Okay, it used to be if you get a tornado warning if a funnel cloud was spotted, and you would hear the sirens go off. Now it doesn't seem like that's the case. <laughs> now, you, if somebody goes, 
it's a tornado warning. Well, let, <laughs> let's just start out with watch and warning. Okay. So the difference between a watch is conditions are favorable. Right. So the warning is that the conditions are occurring now. So the warning is what we're really concerned about. You know, you get the watch where it might happen, but the warning means it's it's happening somewhere. Okay. It might, it might impact you. Um, I am not aware that the sirens were ever used in Hartford County for tornadoes. Oh yes, they were. Oh yes, they aren't. They aren't now. Uh, um, well, I thought because yeah, I knew the one behind us didn't go off. <laughs> and that's probably before me. Then um, the only time we use sirens now in Hartford County is for Peach Bottom, be for a radiological event. And we do have sirens that go off in northern Hartford County for siren tests. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, with Peach Bottom, we're within 10 miles of Peach Bottom. So that's why we are required to actually have that warning system in place. Okay. But as many people might know, you hear, you get calls on your phone, uh, cell phone, landline, if you still have it, from Rick Ayers. And that um, is our reverse 911 system, Connect CTY, okay. um, where he can actually, we don't, we don't solely rely on the sirens to give you information really about any disaster. We have that uh, reverse 911 system where we can actually call each individual on the phone. And speaking to that then, you can actually go to um, the Hartford County Emergency Management website and put in any new cell phones or make sure your cell phone is linked to that service to make sure you do get those warnings. Right. Um, so that's important to make sure that you are connected with whatever phone you are using so that you get the, those warnings. And we can actually be geo-specific in terms of if there's something going on in your, your neighborhood, uh -huh. like an active assailant where they want you to shelter in place, they can actually just let those people in that area know about the incident. So it's a wonderful tool, and I just encourage every resident to be connected to it. How, now, how do you connect to that? You actually go to um, the Hartford County Emergency Management website, okay, and they have a button there that says Connect CTY, okay, and you want to click on that, and then you just put in your information, the new cell phone number, and they will make sure that that's in their database. Okay. Now, scary question for you. All right, so you got internet the phone all that so that's how people are, are notified of an emergency mm -hmm. now I'm going back several years ago to 9-11 when that happened cell phones were down internet was I mean there was a lot of things down texting seemed to be working during 9-11 okay. for whatever reason it's a little different um, so uh, texting seems to be more effective and we do have that capacity Okay. Um, in terms of receiving a text as well as a voice okay. over your cell phone. So um, that we do have that capability. Okay. Now what about for those that don't have a cell phone? We're out of luck. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. You just rely on your neighbors. Yeah. Hopefully you have some good neighbors around to kind of watch over who's yeah. ever there. What else for emergency preparing, especially with the summertime besides hurricanes, what do people need to be? Um, well, we, all, we always try to inform people about heat. You know, we have, mm -hmm. um, there are a couple of um, health conditions that can occur if you're out in the heat too long. Um, the worst is the heat stroke. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the heat stroke is your body temperature rises too rapidly. Um, it is life-threatening. Um, and basically what's characteristic of that is you don't sweat. All of a sudden, your body stops sweating. Uh, red, hot, dry skin, um, you get a rapid and weak pulse. So that's an actual 911 emergency. If somebody is actually having that occur, um, they really need to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. And in the meantime, you can actually offer them drinks, no caffeine, no alcohol. Right. Those are diuretics which make you pee. You don't want to do that. Um, so then you can do a cool, wet sheet to get their temperature down. The, the goal is actually getting their body temperature down. Um, and any way that you can do that, if you have a hose, uh, you can put, you know, water them down and make sure that that's cool, um, whatever you can do. But again, making sure they get enough fluids and calling 911 is okay. really crucial. The other uh, couple of things are you can get heat cramps. Um, so the cramps are actually, you can get them in your legs, arms, or abdomen. And it actually is, you know, your electrolytes are off. You right. Know, your body uses all that supply of salt. That's why you use the Gatorade, you know, make sure that you replace those electrolytes. Um, and making sure that you stop the activity that you're doing, don't power through it, um, make sure that you get those, um, that replenishment to your body before you do anything. And you know, at least 
one hour of no cramping. If you have after one hour, you know, you're still having cramps, again, you need to seek medical attention. Um, heat exhaustion is another condition, and that's really just not getting enough fluids. Um, thirst, fatigue, clammy skin, and that's when you get the nausea and vomiting. So those are two conditions. The, the exhaustion and the cramps aren't as life-threatening, right. but that heat stroke, um, you can either die or have permanent disability. So um, we really just need to be cognizant of our bodies when we're out there in the heat Stay for periods of time. Yes. Well, and I think a lot of people, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but a lot of people think that it's got to be a certain degree outside in order for you to get heat stroke. Right. I mean, it could be 60 degrees and you can still get heat stroke, correct? And we, Yeah, and we really want to make sure that kids, their body temperature rises so much oh, more yeah. quicker than adults. So when we have the, you know, the little ones on the fields, you know, during, you know, the summer, you really, we really have to be careful, you know, of the kids and make sure that they're getting that hydration, um, you know, periodically and yeah. that we're watching that. See, that's one of the things that scares me because I know rec football starts, they start practice, what, August? August I think 14th. Okay, and there's sometimes where the heat index, it's 104 degrees out there and these kids are still practicing. And let's talk about heat index because heat index is actually telling you what the temperature is in the shade. So it's not Say really. what? Yeah, the heat index is the, the outside temperature in the shade. So that's not actually uh, giving you an you know a degree of what the actual temperature is. It's giving you how it feels in the shade. So when you've got a heat index of 90 <coughs> degrees or above in the shade, that's dangerous. So when <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> so when they're saying 104 degrees heat index, yeah. that's in the shade. Yes. That's Which could be shade. even 10 degrees higher outside of the shade. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. Did you know that? Yes, I did. <laughs> Why did you ever tell me that? <laughs> hey, come on, Rich. It's not that hot. Go out and cut the grass while you're sitting inside, cool off. Okay. I I didn't realize that. Yeah. Man. I wish I could go back in my time now to my gunnery sergeant, <laughs> 104 degrees out, and he's running us 13 miles. What? Are you nuts? So that's, that's another thing wow. to think about, too, when you get out, you know, when you're doing activities, um, but also the sports stuff for the kids and that kind of thing. What about for pets, too? And pets, yes. Okay. I mean, if you have an outdoor pet and you've got heat index 90 above, I mean, that's dangerous for the pet. Yeah. You know, you really... and. And let's talk about car safety. I was just going to ask you about so, that. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're looking at cars. Um, I have a statistics. Heat stroke is the leading cause of non-crash vehicle-related deaths in children under 15. And that's, to me, that's amazing. Um, because a child's body heat rises three to five times faster than an adult's. And so, and now you're talking pets, too. I mean, they're yeah. even smaller, you know, a lot of times than the kids. But... In just 10 minutes, a car can heat up to 20 degrees in yeah. just 10 minutes. And I would think even with the windows cracked, that yes, it would make a difference. Yes, that is not sufficient. Because yeah. that glass is acting as yeah. a magnifying glass, tinted or not. Right. Wow. Um, so one of the things I think we, as parents, we get so caught up in our daily activities. One of the things I think we need to remind ourselves is just to do a safety check. So you always want to look in the back seat before you leave the car and lock it. Just get into that habit. You know, because right. that's the thing really that, you know, we, we certainly don't want accidents to happen and we all have busy activities that we do every day. But just getting into a habit of making sure you check the car before you walk away. Don't leave the baby in the car. Yeah. Or the dog. <laughs> or the dog. <laughs> or the cat or anything. Yeah. yeah. And what was the other one that, that, I don't know if it was true or not, uh, I think your mother said son of there was a car fire not too long ago and they said it was caused by a water bottle in the car not oh yeah Joptown. town their uh, car sitting uh i guess parked and it had a water bottle in the center console and it acted as a magnifying glass and oh, uh, you know gosh. as a kid you always have the little magnifying glass and you yeah. did a little present the caterpillars and all that yeah oh, so it, it actually started a fire in the car first That's time i've bad. ever heard of that uh, yeah i i never so I guess that's a new thing. Not a new yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, something like we learned about the storm there. Yeah, yeah. Keep the water bottles out of your yeah. clear water bottles, I guess. Speaking of water, um, you always see these commercials, uh, usually sports commercials, and you see them guzzling. Ice cold water, ice cold Gatorade. 
mm. um, which we all know is is a no-no. You don't do that when you're you know, out, in, out in the heat. It should be slow and it should be often. Um, the other question I had, when I was younger, we used to take potassium pills in, in the dead of summer uh, to help retain water so we didn't sweat it all out. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think you kind of get that in the in the sports drinks. Sports drinks, you, you do. Know, that, yeah. that kind of yeah. is the same kind of thing yeah, you know, where you're replacing the electrolytes. Yeah, so it's right. the same thing. It's just now we're adding flavor and colors. And a lot of sugar. <laughs> it's, and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Usually yeah. like yeah. Pedialyte for kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one thing that's I wanted to know with the water, like these flavored waters, is is the sugar good for you in it, in that heat? Uh, yeah. I, I would I'd say it's, it's probably not what we're yeah. looking for. Yeah. You know, we're really looking for the electrolyte part or just plain water. Plain yeah. water, yeah. put a lemon if you, in there If you are hydrating enough with water, you really don't need Gatorade. I mean, right. Gatorade's really made for people who are running marathons, who are doing this like really excessive type of um, workout. So. Like me, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh huh. I mean, it's okay to have it's okay to have Gatorade, especially if you know that you know your child's going to be out all day and they do need something extra, maybe. But I mean, stick to like more of the Pedialyte's stuff like that that are a little bit made for children. Wouldn't be giving your Gator your child. I wouldn't suggest giving your child Gatorade. Um, all the time because it is very high in sugar but if you're giving them enough water and they're hydrated especially like the night before if you know they have um, like a game the next day or if they're going to be out for practice make sure even like that day before that they're getting that hydration they right. need so that they're not having some issues uh, the next day because yeah, one of the things I see with kids a lot especially I mean everybody it's a time of the year people love to have cookouts mm -hmm. you know and as high as it is out there, sometimes you see kids just down in sodas, oh, yeah. left and right, and which is, of course, then you see the adults down in alcoholic beverages, too. But I think they, a lot of people don't realize you need to alternate and put water in there as well. I'm not saying mix water with your beer, but, you know, I mean, you know, or your soda. But if you're drinking a soda, then drink water afterwards. And alcohol and caffeine do make you go to the bathroom. Yeah. So then you're losing the fluid that you just put in. So, you know, that's why it's good to, like you said, switch it up. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little about sunscreen? Well, yeah, considering I got this on my head because of lack of it. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that's a key thing. Too, a lot of people don't realize, and sunscreen you should put on year round, which one, I never realized. One in five Americans will develop skin cancer in their lifetime. That's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, because we really have to worry about the sun all year round, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we really focus on it, you know, in the summer because that's when we're going out more, the beach. But well, really, the same with dehydration. More dehydration, people focus on it in the summer. Yeah. Look how many people get dehydrated in the winter. That's right. So the American Academy of Dermatology recommends that you use a sunscreen that's broad spectrum protection against two things, UVA and UVB. So these are two types of ultraviolet uh, light. So the UVA is actually what causes the aging or the wrinkling, but there's 500 times more UVA rays in, the sun, in sunlight than UVB. But UVB causes the skin cancer. So, and, and that's where you get the melanoma, malignant melanoma. Right. And if you've ever known somebody with malignant melanoma, it is deadly. I mean, that is nothing to sneeze at. No. It starts out as a, just a small dot that starts turning colors or shape, and it can metastasize throughout your whole body and kill you from that one spot caused mm -hmm. by the sun. And so what they recommend is every, they, they say on your birthday, inspect your birthday suit. So basically on your birthday, you're checking your skin to see if you see any spots um, that are irregular in shape, that are changing color. And if you have any questions about them, you need to go see a dermatologist. And actually it's recommended that like um, as you age, that you go see a dermatologist at yeah. least one time in your life, just to get checked out. Um, if you have any questions, there's always aging spots. You know, we, we call them aging spots. Um, some of that is quite normal. Um, but what we're worried about is that spot that looks like an aging spot that starts changing. Right. That's what we're worried about. Um, it can be the size of a pencil eraser. 
um, that's what we're looking at. And then when it changes, it's not a complete circle. It starts changing. The edges kind of become irregular, or um, the center actually is different colors. Um, and you can actually go online, and it'll, they'll get, give you a guide, you know, what to look for. Um, and again, if you have any questions, you definitely want to go to um, a dermatologist. So that, that's the broad spectrum. That's why right. you look for both UVA and UVB, but also the SPF 30 or higher. Right and make sure that it's water resistant. And reapply. Just because you've put it on the first time doesn't you go out on the beach, doesn't mean that's gonna protect you all day. And the other thing really too that we wanna um, caution parents is the spray. The spray suntan lotion, um, we really, it's hard to gauge how much that's covering the skin. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you have to use a lot more of it and really they recommend rubbing it in on the skin rather than just spraying it because we don't really know how much of the skin is covered when we spray and the other caution with spray is inhalation so we don't necessarily uh -huh. want the kids to inhale you know the spray so that's another caution especially with the really young ones right um, it's so easy you know to go out and you go on the beach and just spray them down um, but there is some caution that you need to use when you do a spray yeah, if you're spraying, if you're already sweating and you spray, it just yeah. goes right on. I learned that when yeah. I was young. It doesn't work. So yeah. And really yeah. for your face, you want a cream. Yeah. yeah. And there are more milder, high SPF creams that are made that you can actually apply. And if some, sometimes when you use certain brands, it actually burns when you put it on your face. But there are brands out there that um, you know actually are designed for the face and don't cause that burning <sighs> sensation. What about... Can you combine sunscreen and bug spray? Um, I don't know. That's, Erica, can you yeah, speak to that? I was going to say, I knew you were going to venture into mosquitoes and ticks. And that was one of the questions I used to always have because DEET is most commonly applied to the skin. Right. And I believe if you're also going out in the sun, I believe you apply the insecticide first. Okay. And then you apply the sunscreen okay. above that. I'm glad I asked that question because that's, you know, with, with our clubhouse, it's in the woods, and that's always been a concern. You know, what do I put on first? Sunscreen? Or can I even combine them? Am I going to burn my leg off or something? Because generally, like I said, the, the DEET that's most yeah. commonly used has a much longer shelf life, so to speak, than the sunscreen does. It has to be applied even more okay. frequently. Yeah, so. and the other thing, too, with the skin cancer, and I don't... And hat. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely a hat. But a lot of people don't realize that it, when you see a body scan, I think they get nervous thinking that you're going to almost like an MRI. And it's yeah. not. The dermatologist is just no, looking No, he's just looking over. like right. anybody else would. But he can see places that maybe you can't see. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And another thing. You know, and I all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know this until my sister got melanoma that it's hereditary. So, if somebody else in your family has skin cancer, go get checked. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Yeah, if you've got it in your family, you definitely want to go see a dermatologist and go periodically. He will tell you how often he needs to see you. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's just nothing to fool with. And it doesn't hurt. No. I mean, it's, I mean, the body scan. <laughs> and, that, and technically, the, I mean, when I got mine, the, I mean, I was on top of my head. The biopsy didn't hurt even when they did the Mohs surgery. Yeah. I think the worst part was the recovery. Yeah, yeah surgery if you go and stuff early, it's hurt. really like you said. If it go early, the removal is no big deal. Yeah, yeah. And listen to people that find it. My sister found hers. Well, she didn't find it. Her hairdresser did. Oh, see. And now at that salon, that hairdresser is having all everybody that works there, I guess, taking classes or whatever, so they know what to look for. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I wouldn't, well, of course, I don't go to a hairdresser, so I guess I would, <laughs> wouldn't have known that, but, you know. And the other little note I wanted to just mention was um, sunglasses, you know, for cataracts. Um, sunlight really impacts your eyes. So um, I know a lot of times the um, contacts will have, like, a UV um, protection in them, mm -hmm. but they still think that the sunglasses, uh, in addition to that, really is important. Um, and, and cataracts are, you know, we kind of take it kind of for granted that we're all gonna get cataracts, but I mean, really, the sunlight can really damage our yeah. eyes, so you still wanna make sure that, you know, those sunglasses are on. Protect yourself, yeah. that's good. Even when you go out in the yard and have to do your, 
yard work, you know, put their sunglasses on. So all of you are, that are listening, we're not telling you to stay in the house. We're not trying to scare you. Just be safe going out there. Right. You know, I mean, you got the, the water safety. You have the skin, uh, you know, <coughs> protecting your skin. And that's just against the sun. Talking about the insects and, God, what else is there now? Insects, ticks. Ticks, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, I mean. And all the associated diseases that they spread. Spread, yes. Yeah, I mean, how, because that, well, ticks are year-round, correct? Correct. Most people think it's just summertime, but it's year-round. They love what, leaf piles? They like, never yes, realized. they like uh, moist, damp conditions. They don't do well. They desiccate quickly. So, I mean, it's, 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 there's like two aspects. There's the environmental safeguards, and then there's the personal protection. Uh, would you like me to start with one or emphasize one over the Go other? Go ahead. Yeah, no. Nah. Uh, well, it, per, I guess personal protection first. Well, personal protection, I mean, and luckily... Don't go outside. Some no. of the same precautions <laughs> for text works against mosquitoes as well. Right. You know, application of, of DEEP to the skin, that's the active ingredient. For most adults, you don't need anything more than 30% DEEP. Also, uh, the keratin and oil of lemon eucalyptus work as well, too, as far as repellent. Uh, wait a minute, back, the, the what? The oil of what? called oil of lemon eucalyptus. Lemon eucalyptus. Yeah. So an essential oil. Yes. And but don't you don't want to use it straight, right? And I, I don't want to say anything out of context, but I think like the, the Skin So Soft may have contained that ingredient at one time. Yeah. I know they, they talked about that. Well, the way essential oils, I mean, anybody can buy them, but I think you want to combine it too. I don't think you want to use it straight. I think you want to mix it with uh, some another type of oil. Yeah, but like I said, most often, more often than not, it's the deep that people use. You know, the off sprays, right. you see the cutter, that type of thing. I think I'd rather so. smell like that than eucalyptus. <laughs> so, so you apply that to bare skin, and then you can apply, like, permethrin to clothing. That's what we talked that. about before, right, Lyle? Yeah, I'd, I'd swear by that. Yeah, the permethrin, it, it acts as both, uh, it'll kill ticks as well as, as repel them. Yeah, yeah. great so, stuff. And it lasts through several washings, too. I mean, sometimes I'll tell you... I've heard anywhere from like five to ten washings, depending yeah. on the garment and the, and the fabric. Yeah. So that's very effective. Uh, sometimes I'm guilty of not following this myself, but they tell you, you know, when you're outdoors, you know, to if you're out in the woods, you know, try to stay in the center of trails, try to avoid unnecessary brushing against plants and leaf litter. Ticks don't jump, you know, or fly. No, they climb. They they climb. They, yeah. they exhibit something called questing behavior. <clears throat> they go out to the end of you know, leaves, and they sit there and they wait for something to come by and brush, you know. There are tick species that are even more aggressive that just kind of hone in on a CO2 trail that we all, body heat and CO2, but they're, wow. that's kind of, they're kind of more <laughs> the exception you know, than the rule. But, wow. Uh, so that's, and they tell you, I mean, it's, it's, they tell you when you're hiking, you know, wear light colored clothing. Right. If you spend a lot of time in the woods, they recommend tucking your pants into your socks, tucking your shirt into your pants prevents the ticks from finding access you know obviously frequent showering tick checks you know when you come in from outdoors what you can't see have a family member or friend you know, check you out because some they, of these things are hard to even see though absolutely because they seek out you know belt line groin area scalp right ears i mean they, they, they tend to, to behind the knees they kind of like the latch <laughs> windows more of that. Yeah. How about like on your clothing or on like if you're hiking, you have a backpack. Does it work too if you spray like D on your backpack? Absolutely. People spray. Your... People treat their tents and treat their backpacks. Well, that's why yeah, he also said that I'm going to get the name wrong. Pal Pal Give it a try. Palethamine. Permethrin. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely Put treat your, your backpacks and backpacks. Uh, your tent, yeah. your sleeping bag. It stuff really does work. It does. Because the D, you only spray one. I mean, you spray once, but yeah. it wears off. The other stuff will last a lot longer. Yeah. But like I said, the permethrin, that's strictly permethrin. for clothing. <laughs> you, you never apply that to bare skin. I mean, it's, it's just <laughs> the, 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 with that. Yeah. yeah. If you apply it to your bare skin, let us know what happens. Ron, you'd be running around. <laughs> yeah. They, they also claim, too, you know, doing your laundry, you know, hot wash cycle, hot dry cycle, that'll dry out and kill ticks as well. So really? Yeah. I that's that. something important to do. And then there's the environmental safeguards that you can take, you know. I mean, when it comes to, like, Lyme disease, well, a lot of people don't realize, like, most cases, they're required, like, paradomestically, which means it's picked up around the house. So people pick it up when they're out there gardening. You know, the deer, 
you know, wherever you have abundant deer populations, right. you're going to have the ticks. They play a big part in the life cycle okay. of the ticks. So they talk about, you know, with your property, keeping your grass cut, you know, keeping the wood pile at the back of the property. They love the woodland areas, the edge habitat between your yard and where you have brushy overgrown areas because they like the damp, moist environments, just like mm -hmm. the mosquitoes do when they're not out budding. They like to, they prefer to stay in, in cool, damp areas. So they tell you, you know, you can put down like, they don't like cedar mulch, that's a propellant. So a lot of times they tell people to use like a three foot barrier of cedar mulch between like if they have woodland watering their property with their yard, keep the wood piles away, keep the grass trimmed, you know. As far another, as another little trick I just, I just uh, learned, read about, was uh, with the permethrin, is take used toilet paper rolls then buy a bag of cotton and soak the cotton in the permethrin and then stuff the toilet paper rolls, just chuck them out. If you have ground moles, mice, uh, you know, little critters like that, chipmunks all around your property, just throw them out there because they love to take the cotton and nest with it. Exactly. And so that'll go in there and that'll kill the tick larva and, <laughs> and uh, it helps that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I know. Wall. Yeah. yeah I, never I, did. I thought that was pretty clever, but it, it, it works. Yeah. Yeah, I know that the State Health Department's Office of Veterinary Public Health has been involved with a lot of studies, multi-state studies, and they talk about the permethrin so cotton that they take back and use as nesting materials, mm -hmm. and that's the same thing that you see with the uh, the posters you see that they set up with the deer. Yeah. A lot of times if you ever see a, you know, the deer often loaded with them, on the muzzle, on the ears, and they set up those feeding stations and they and they treat that. So oh, when the right, deer go and right. insert their head to eat on the uh, corn, they pick up the, uh, huh? The now where do you buy that? Per, per, where do you buy that oil at? Nothing. Yeah, you, you can pick it up at Dex, Sporting yeah, Dex, Goods, Cabela's, okay. Cab yeah, the yeah. big department stores. Yeah, yeah. definitely gotta get some of that. Yeah. Well, you told me before I need to get it. Yeah, you just want to check the label because they said you're not going to see any like bottle that just says permethrin oil. Right. You're going to uh, look at the active ingredient list and you'll see it, you know, prominently listed. So what are you going to? What are you going to? All right. If I, I so I'm clueless. So I go to buy something that has this in it. What am I looking? For? I mean, on the all right. I know you look for that on the label, but I'm not going to go through everything and figure out all right, what's going to carry. I mean, is it something that you? Is it a spray? Is it a liquid? It, it, well, it's both the spray. The spray is generally used for humans and, and, and your domestic pets. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. There, there's uh, and that that concentration is 0.5 percent of, of uh, permethrin. But then you have a 10% solution, which is used for like the deer stations. Yes. And um, your farm, you know, the, the stalls in your in your uh, farmhouse and, and controlling, you know, not not applied to humans or animals, but uh, to equipment and um, you know bales of hay, anything around your farm that would attract uh, uh, ticks, and not just ticks, but you know other other bugs, mosquitoes, and everything else. Yeah, and it's very beneficial. It's got yeah. you know, low human toxicity. You know, the permethrin. Right. As long as you're not just Bring it right onto your skin, you know, it's, it's very effective. Huh. So, you know, so, you know, they're kind of the environmental precautions you would take against, you know, ticks as far as the mosquitoes go. It's sort of common sense. I mean, it's, you know, around the home, you know, you want to empty your burbage, you want to change your water once a week. Right. And that, uh, that's basically the life cycle. So for a tick to progress from, you know, the egg to the adult, it's going to need about a week's period of time. So if you're dumping out the water, you avoid that problem. You know, anything that holds water, you know, clean out your gutters, they, they'll breed in the smallest amounts of water. Actually, they prefer it, especially the Asian tiger mosquito, which is most linked with, like, the transmission of the West Nile virus. Right. You know, wow. generally speaking, and Dan can tell you, you generally don't find them, like, in, in pools as often. I mean, it's possible, but they like more protected. You know, you, you'll, you'll see more often, like, the skimmers, on a pool, you you know. Uh, you'll see a bird bath right next to a large in-ground pool, and there'll be no mosquito larvae in the pool. But in bird, bird bath, bath, it'll just be teeming. And some of the places that people don't look at either are if they have young children, all their toys in the backyard, they'll have a wheelbarrow if it's not turned over on a weekly basis. They'll start to have larvae in there. And a lot of times if you have it, when, the, when you're downspout, people put the corrugated piping yeah. on there to extend it out. And those corrugations do periodically have holes in there, but not every hole. 
So you need to flush that out after a while, or they'll actually be breeding in that corrugated downspout piping. They'll actually tell you sometimes they actually screen the open end of that pipe. If it just runs out, aside from that, what Dan's instructing is the best thing to do is to dump it right. once a week. But they even tell you to screen it because so many people attach those things to their downspouts. And between that and clogged gutters, you know, they're like probably two of the biggest areas. Sometimes it's surprising. I know Dan and Joe go out on a lot of complaints. And we had one recently, as I was thinking, with all the rain we've had, we've had a lot of standing water. Mm -hmm. And they dip for larvae. No indication the mosquitoes there, but you had a cover that was over a boat, and the complainant's backyard was teaming. Correct. That's really? Right. Scrap tires. That's a big one. Fire pits? Off the rim, yeah. And if you have places that you can't get rid of the water, say you have an old ornamental pond and the pump's gone up, you can go to your local hardware store and buy a product called a mosquito beds or mosquito dunks. That's the little round donut? Correct. Things? It looks yeah. like a small donut, and it basically floats on top of the water. It doesn't really matter how deep the water is. It's based on area. Mm -hmm. um, and typically, that dunk will release a larvicide for 30 days. So once a month, just throw a dunk in there, and you should be okay. Basically, the, the larvae can't go through their life cycle. You'll still see the larvae, but they won't turn into mosquitoes. Yeah. Hmm. We have we have folks on our staff that are certified, you know, uh, pesticide applicators and Dana's one of them who has a, a license and he frequently applies larvicide which I believe was what Dana has a 150 day that's the only difference between the ones that you can buy and the ones that we use we have a longer term product so one application with our product will last the entire season oh, so wow. when, when your larger pool that has been abandoned we'll go out there treat that and basically we're one and done and we're out of there how, I was going to say, how many pools you, well, I guess you could come across a lot of pools that are abandoned. Well, we come across a lot, of, being used. a lot of family pools. Right. You know, a lot of above ground pools, uh, you know, property's been abandoned, nobody's taking ownership of it, or something's broken on a pool. Uh, a pump or something mechanical can cost these people thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, to help them out, we'll offer our services, because the product that we apply, it's just a nominal fee. And then we don't have to worry about that issue. Uh, now, it won't be attractive, aesthetically pleasing for the neighbor, yeah. but you won't have to worry about the health consequences. I wish I would have known that a long time ago when I had my pool, because I had an in-ground pool, and yeah, the, the, it, it was going to cost, what we figured, 10 grand to fix? Yeah. So it was going to cost me $10,000 to fix it, which I didn't have $10,000. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, my pool was becoming a pond. To the point where my brother even came over with a fishing rod acting like a jerk. Um, but yeah, that water gets green and everything. And that's when I was throwing those donut things in there. Mm -hmm. yeah, now, thank God that was gone. But, yeah, and as a stopgap measure, I mean, most people have a bottle of bleach too. So you can always pour you know, a gallon of bleach in the pool, and that's going to kill any larvae in there. But Really? Uh, yeah. I didn't know that. That's how I used to treat the pool years ago. No. That's so what we tell people. Like I said, a lot of folks, I mean, myself included, have the ornamental ponds. And you tell them as long as, and know mine's stocked with fish, and you keep the water circulating, Right. they don't. They don't well, I was going to say, that's key too, isn't it, if that water's circulating. If the water's circulating, even if there's not a disinfectant in it, it's going to be fine. It's not yeah. going to be an issue. Mosquitoes like to breed in small, shallow areas where they're not subject to the wind currents. So... A three-foot above-ground pool, the water's all the way to the top, it looks green, everybody thinks it's going to be a breeding ground. There may be some activity, but typically it's not going to be your hot spot for mosquitoes. They'd rather look for that little tire or something. That That's correct. Doing. That's correct. Eliminate sediment ponds. People think, oh, the sediment pond behind my house is loaded. It's not. It's got enough current. Right. And it's just not an issue. I don't know how many we dipped in having a barn, hardly any larvae. So, yeah, it's not. It was, it was, a, like I said, as far as like disease goes, it was a relatively quiet year this past year. I don't know if this year is going to be much different, but, you know, we had so much rain. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the mosquito species that like to breed in the floodwaters, generally speaking, aren't the ones that are generally linked with the with spread of most of the diseases. Your Asian tiger mosquitoes don't like those, you know. Huh. That mosquito, speaking, you know, it, it's, it's got you because it bites during the day. One of the few that do. Yeah. That's the Asian And tire. that came in from a load of scrap tires from Japan. Really? Which came wow. to a junkyard mm. called Emanuel's in Baltimore, mm. which spread up here. <laughs> and it actually was 
uh, an outbreak at one of our junkyards uh, in next close to where you are, uh, Banks. I don't know if you remember the Banks junkyard. No. No, but the day got me nervous now. Right, uh, yes, and, uh, and it's grabbed ours. Asian yeah. Tiger. Yeah. And that's the one that carries the West Nile. That's the one that carries the West Nile. Yeah. And what's the other bad, bad disease out there? That well, the one that we got all the publicity in, in past years was Zika. That's right. But okay. we didn't have any, uh, we, I think there were maybe a couple of travel associations, but nothing endemic that was acquired locally in okay. the state of Maryland. They were all out-of-state travelers or out-of-country travelers. Now, Lyme that's, disease, has that been on a rise? Well, Lyme disease, I mean, I know, I mean, I know uh, nationwide, I mean, it's the, it's the number one vector-borne reported disease. Wow. And I know I have statistics. I mean, I was looking at something that, I mean, it was dated a little bit. It goes back to 2013, and they were talking about confirmed and probable cases as to what the CDC estimates. And the CDC estimated back in 2013 that there's as many as uh, 300,000 cases of, of Lyme disease a year. You know, obviously, what's reported, and you know, is going to always be smaller than yeah. what's really out there. What's actually, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things I've, because we had a guest on the podcast before that had Lyme disease, and one, she talked about how she got tested. She thought she had. She saw the bike got tested, and came up negative. Right. Mm-hmm. Two years later, she got tested again, found out she had it. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, even though you could see the bite. You may not have it yet. It could take a while to get in there, and a lot of people don't realize that. Not only that, but a lot of people don't realize, I mean, you know, there's obviously there's different tick species that are right. linked with certain diseases. You know, you got your dog tick, and the Rocky Mountain spotted fever that you hear about, but it's not uncommon to have ticks co-infected. You know, you got viral, parasitic, and, and uh, bacterial yeah. diseases, you know, and one thing that's, I guess, worthy of mentioning is I know our, the Maryland State Laboratory, I, I think starting like July 1st, a doctor will be able, you know, if he suspects he has a client that has a tick-borne disease, can submit serology samples, and they can screen for a whole host of really? diseases, from Powassan virus to babesiosis to lichiosis, the whole, the whole gamut. Wow. You know, before up to this point, the only thing we could do for people is, you know, we could have people send ticks in. Right now, it's the University of Maryland, and they can identify the species of tick. And sometimes you can narrow down the diseases that a person may may have been exposed to, but that was it. it was just you know, species identification, right? And which is no small feat. When you're talking about the the nymphal and the larval stages, I tell you, it's hard enough to tell the species of an adult tick, let alone when it's a, when it's a larva or a nymph. So I was going to say because I mean some of these things I've seen people pull off are smaller than a, the head of a pin. Yeah, I mean, even the adults are like the deer ticks, like the, the size of an ticks. apple seed, and the nymph and mortal stages are. Yeah. You mentioned the Powassan virus. I was just reading, um, <clears throat> I think it was up northeast, somebody that's uh, is potentially even more lethal than uh, Lyme disease. It, it can be, and I think it's interesting. I always, I always associate that with being spread through mosquitoes, which, yeah. you know, because I know there's a whole host of mosquito borne diseases, and I only learned of that recently that the ticks are capable of spreading that as well yeah and, so, and, and not just like with the with the uh, in here you can dispel a myth um, uh, a lot of people believe and my niece included his daughter um, that the if a tick has a spot on it a white spot on its underside that it's it, it's carrying Lyme disease no, that's no, not true that's a dog no. tick and it's not uh, right it's it's not indicative of anything um, you're right. Like, like, like I said, the only tick that I'm aware of that has a white spot and it's on its back is like it's the Lone Star tick. I'm sorry, Lone Star, not dog tick. But you're right. Yeah, Lone Star. And, and that's it the is. one that's linked with a host of diseases. I know uh, yeah. my brother-in-law was bitten by one of those, yeah. and he developed that. Uh, I think it's called like alpha gal allergy, and he learned that because uh, he had, went to anaphylaxis after eating red meat. He can't. He can't eat red meat. Wow. It's. Uh, Dr. Moore probably knows the chemistry with the molecules and how all that works, but yeah, he, he, can, he can eat chicken, but he can't eat, you know, pork and beef. It's something with, uh, yeah. Oh, I'd be a hurt so, Yeah. That's how he discovered he had it. He tested him for it and he found that, he, you know. Yeah. It was funny, but it was a little nerve-wracking to have kids. I took him down to Manassas Battlefield one year and 
went through this one section and, and we just got we got plaster we went through about a 10-foot section of a little rocky path with um, about calf high grasses covered and covered I mean uh, all three of us and uh, the ticks yeah wow you have to ask grace about that because they they were they were flipping out that's why she doesn't like to go outside <laughs> <Yeah>. now okay <laughs> um but they you know that both of them said oh it has a white spot you know it's it's got like i'm going to get lime and they start you know crying and freaking and said no that's not what that means and, yeah and the good yeah. thing is it sounds like it was the larvae that you had on your on your yeah. pants leg and and like i said the deer tick they have like a two-year life cycle so that when they hatch from the eggs they're not infected they're not infected until they take that first blood meal which is usually through the small mammals running through the woods, right? right. Your, you know, your deer, or your mice and chipmunks and that type of thing. Right. Yeah. It's not until they usually take, and you know, that's when they become infected. And then they carry it through their whole life. Lifetime. That's actually when I started getting the permethrin. Was after that because it's, it's the worst. I've had ticks, you know, all throughout my life, but that was the worst. I mean, they were on both legs, just covered. It was the worst I ever had. So. so say, how long did it take you to get them all off? Quite a while. I mean, you can imagine the kids jumping around. Well, and yeah. I had to tend to myself, and um, it was an experience. But uh, yeah, it's everything is treated now. So. One that you won't soon forget, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Lyle. Now I know why Grace doesn't like to go outside. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. All right. So we've talked. We've covered skin cancer, heat stroke, uh, diseases, but from the insects. One of the big, uh, really big concern, I believe, over the summertime too, is pool safety. Um, I hate to say, but I mean, it seems like every year in Harford County, you you read of a drowning or something. So, I, I know a lot of it. Your know, parents should be always watching their kids. But how many times you come across? Because you can do pool inspections, right? How we many? do commercial pool inspections, so we're oh. not typically dealing with, you know, the backyard pool. Okay. Correct. Any of the pools, um, hotels, motels, your HOA um, communities. So we're dealing with about 100 licensed facilities in the county. Typically 30 of those are licensed for the entire year, be it your indoor pools. And then we have about 70 outdoor facilities. In Harford County? There's that many? Mm-hmm. There is a lot of uh, community associations, a lot of apartment complex. You add, and that's just the complexes. Each of those may have, um, like your arena club, may have six, seven pools out there that we license individually. Wow! So, I never a waiting pool, that. lab pool, um, the recreational pool. You know, they're, they're all licensed separately. They okay. All have a separate permit for that. Now, I mean, do you run into pro- any problems with them? I mean, well, we do. I mean, we <laughs> deny permits. Um, they need a permit before they are licensed in the county, before they start operation. So if there's any deficiencies, um, we'll give them a corrective plan. They'll contact us back. We'll go back out. We'll verify that. Then they will get their operating <coughs> permit. And then during the course of their season, and you know, most facilities in the summertime are opening Memorial Day to Labor Day. Um, once they are issued their permit, then we will go back out you know, once or twice during the course of the summer and check the facility, make sure that their their chlorine levels, pH, are in operational parameters, as well as their mechanical um, equipment is functioning properly. They have to have the necessary uh, pool operator there, uh, lifeguard, depending. Um, A lot of facilities don't need a lifeguard. Typically, your hotels, motels are considered a semi-public facility, and it's swim at your own risk. Wow. Now, if you have a you know club, uh, if you're part of an HOA, they're invariably they're going to be considered a recreational pool, and the lifeguard will need to be on duty right. at all times. <clears throat> and then it's a fraction of lifeguards per patrons, so it'll be one lifeguard for every 50 patrons, or depending on the construction of the pool, uh, visibility may uh, necessitate you know additional lifeguards there. So they have they have to go through this every year. That is correct. They're licensed that's good. every I, year. See, I didn't correct. know that, but I, I mean, that's good to know. Yeah, they're issued an operating permit on a yearly basis, and then you know, your indoor facilities, your hotels, motels, are typically looked at probably once a quarter. And then the outdoor facilities are issued, they're looked at before they're open, and then at least once while they're in operation. Wow. Again, so we generally don't touch one on 
private pools. I mean, there are aspects that are enforced, not through our department. Right. Like our, our county department of inspections, licenses and permits. If you have an in-ground pool, the pool's got to be fenced. The fence has to be in good repair, you know, latched gate. And I believe Dan was, you know, we were discussing this a few days ago that if it's an above-ground pool, it has to be made in something that has to be, the ladders have to be removed. There has to be a way that takes away that ability for a small child to, to get into that, to access right. the pool. Now, if you have an above-ground pool um, like that, are you still required a fence or no? Not, I don't believe it's a fence per se. I think like I don't, I say, I don't it's believe it's height. It's, it's yeah, but they have a height, uh, you know, situation there. And the one thing about residential pools is abandoned properties. There yeah. you have this pool that is now a double threat. You know, usually you know, fences are, are removed or people are breaking in. And so, you know, you put an order out to, to drain it. I think you can, you know, track the owner down. Uh, that's one, uh, just like a structure, that's one uh, situation where they put that out to bid and get rid of it. It's a real danger. Mm -hmm. well, we'll typically treat it with a larvicide, you know, before that can In happen. In the meantime, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, I'd be worried about it for the abandoned ones at the residential. Because yeah. if that water's clean, you never know who's going to go in there and go swimming. Well, you know what's on the rise is demolition of pools. These yeah. are homeowners who just we just can't manage this. Well, and I, I mean, think I, I may be wrong, but I think if you get a, if you have, own a house and you get a pool put in, I would think it would decrease the value of your home. It does now. That's what the I thought. The maintenance of that is the, people the maintenance don't want it anymore. plus your insurance. Yeah. Your insurance is going up because of liability. But it used to be a fad where you oh, know, yes, everybody was putting them in, and now they're sitting there vacant, <laughs> yeah. and they're a threat yeah. and a pain. I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I've showed up at somebody's door, <clears throat> we've received a complaint about the pool, and they said, well, such and such component has broken on the pool, and I just don't have the funds. And people just don't understand, you know, it's the ongoing expenses. Yeah. It's just not the initial outlay of money, it's... The electricity, you know, how much money they're putting out for the chemicals, and then when the unforeseen happens, a pipe breaks, a motor goes, you're talking thousands of dollars, and they just don't have the money for that. And that's the other thing, too. If you're not using that pool every day, it's going to cost you more because you're going to be adding more chemicals to it. you got to keep that water circulating. And people don't realize yeah. using the pool helps. So how many people buy pools or have pools put in, work all the time, they may use the pool on the weekend, provided the weekend's nice, <laughs> you know, and it's not raining. Yeah, then they're complaining, oh, man, i got to put out more chemicals, more chemicals. That are great to have, but, you know, Maryland has a relatively short yeah. pool season. Yeah. So, cost-benefit. Once in a while, I do miss mine, but I'd rather sit in the driveway and grill. You don't, so. <laughs> you, you don't miss the maintenance. I don't like cutting grass. It was, yeah, and it your was whole a weekend is taking up cutting grass or maintaining your pool. And it was a lot of maintenance. Yeah, you know, and that's it. And cost. I think it was still just in chemicals at the time. I think it was cost me almost five thousand dollars a summer. Wow. Hmm. Well, it was forty foot long, forty foot by twenty two, and the way I worked at the time, I wasn't home a lot, so I was constantly shocking the thing. Hmm. Yeah, it just, it was a lot of money. You know, I just used bleach once a week, a couple of gallons of bleach, shocked it. So what happened to swimming trunks? They didn't <laughs> 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 no, no, dive right in, though. No, no, no. <laughs> Let it sit overnight. But, um, yeah, it got expensive. And they pulled Catherine, they used to have. Uh, could, could be like the swimming trunks that my mother made me, me and my younger brother one time. I think she forgot to put the elastic band in or something. We were down in Virginia Beach. We went running into the water. We come running out. We were trunkless. <laughs> we didn't know it at the top. Everybody was pointing and laughing. It fell right off. Lisa, you, and we were talking about this before we started with pools and yeah. the drown, uh, drowning. Yeah, I just wanted to go over a couple of pool safety tips for mm -hmm. people that do have their own pool and if you're around pool with kids, and then a couple of uh, facts on drowning. So pool safety, the, the biggest rule is never leave a child unattended right. in or near water. Um, and really try to teach your kids how to swim. Um, you know, we, we, have, we think it's kind of innate, but really there, there is a skill associated with swimming. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about swimming, we talk about floating. Um, that can be helpful, you know, if you're in a distressful situation. Um, teach kids to stay away from the drains in the pool. 
Um, they you need to have you know compliant drain covers, and I'm sure you know Dan could speak to that when he does his inspections. Um, we talked about installing proper barriers, covers, alarms around the school and spa. So, you know, really around spas, you know, we have people will have them in their on their patio. Yeah. But they're just as risky, you know, for kids as a regular pool. Even a kiddie pool is. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you want to make sure that that spa cover is secured, for, so that a kid can't, you know, lift it up or yeah. you know, get into it when you don't know that they're there. And then the other huge thing is learn how to do CPR on your kids, for your kids' sake. If not for your sake, for your kids' sake. Um, how, you know, if they get into trouble, you know, can you do CPR? Uh, do you know what to look for? You know, how, do you know the steps? It's not that hard, right. really. And just, you know, take that little extra effort to learn that skill. You know, it could save your kid's life. Um, so drowning. So, you know, a lot of people, when they think drowning, they think, oh, somebody's going to yell for help. <laughs> well, that is really not the case. No. When somebody is actively drowning, they cannot yell for help. They cannot wave their hands. Because all they're focused on is trying to breathe. You cannot yell for help if you're having trouble breathing. Right. And a lot of times what you're doing is you're sinking. So you have to use your hands to push your body up out of the water to get a breath. So there's no way you're going to be able to use your hands to signal for help to get somebody to help you if you're actively drowning. Um, some people think that if you're drowning, you can help with your own rescue. Well, that's not the case at all. If you're, if you're drowning, there's no way you can voluntarily think, oh, I need to do this, because you are in a, in a state where it's- You're panicking? Yes, it's <laughs> life or death. So there's no way they're gonna be able to help you. Now, sometimes we have situations where it's called aquatic distress, where you have somebody that is yelling and waving, but it's not a situation where they're actively drowning. They're panicking. Like right. you said, there's a moment of panic and it's very short-lived. They can't, and they, they do need help, but and they can help you with their rescue, but it's not an actual where they're, they're gonna die in, in, in imminent danger. So uh, there, I think there's two different situations. They both need help, but the, the difference is when you're actually drowning, it can happen as quickly as 20 to 60 seconds. Jeez. Where you're at the, it only takes that amount of struggle at, in the water <clears throat> to actually have your head go below. So there's really no, no warning unless you're actually looking at somebody as they sink under the water. So I think that's what's really key, right, for kids, is because when kids get in the water, they're screaming, they're mm -hmm. yelling, they're having a good time, and when they're not saying anything or you don't hear any noise at Something's all, not that's right. when you know you've got a situation that you better be you better be looking in. That well, direction. and even with adults too. That's right. Because the other thing, you know, you think about this: how many times are is somebody in the pool, and if they get a bad cramp or something, you know, they focus on that, and you know, right? They you never know what could happen: heart attack. You know, and next thing you know, they're drowning. And a yeah. drowning can happen right in front of you if you've got a lot yeah. of people in the <clears> pool. <throat> because if you could be distracted with a conversation, you could be right at the pool having a conversation with another adult, and there's a lot of kids around, and nobody sees that one kid just go, go on. right yeah. down to the bottom. And it can happen that quick. It can. It, it, it's really scary. So that's why if you've got kids and they're at a pool, if you're not at the pool, you're putting trust in somebody else for their lives mm -hmm. because you, they have to be looking at all those heads to make sure that everybody, you know, is safe. So it's just something to think about, um, you know, that it, it can happen at, at any time and, you know, there's just really no warning at all. Which brings me to another thing because you talk about drowning and we've been talking about pools, but what about the people that go swimming in, in the ponds, the lakes, the rivers? You know, that's even worse. And I think you hear about more drownings then. You don't know what's in that water. Or diving. Oh, you know, yes. You've got a lot of, you know, injuries when people just dive yeah. in. They don't know the depth. Even in a pool or, like you said, if you're uh, in a quarry, um, you know, you don't know what's under the water because it's so, you just can't see the, the depth of the water. It's so dark. Yeah. Um, and if even if you've done that so, you know, your whole life, it only takes that one time. And then there you go. It's a body of water. Yeah. Water moves. Yeah. What well, and and you know, if you look at history, how many shipwrecks and everything else that's in these waters 
Current's moving could be bringing that stuff up. So you may think there's nothing there today when you dive in there. Lo and behold, it could be something there tomorrow. You never know. And I just, I think the one like important thing I think we miss with drowning, I kind of want to add is that like alcohol intake oh, and yes. being around bodies of water. Um, a lot of people, they just, you know, they're drinking all day regardless of, you know, how much they are drinking. You still don't have that much control of your body, and if you think you know, it's even worse than yeah, I'm just gonna go jump in. Like again, we don't know the depth of anything, and that could be. I mean, that just makes it a little more dangerous. Yeah. We forget to kind of be like cautious about those things too. Well, yeah, and look at this too. When in the, a river or something, mm-hmm. you know that. W- w- whereas a pool, you have that solid floor underneath of you. You're in the river. You have that soot, sand, or whatever. And you know, you fall down or get down there, and you could just start like quicksand. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what you're just getting trapped. Yeah. You know, and that's what always scares me. You know, this time of year, especially with boaters. Mm-hmm. You know, because can we know, talk a little bit about that? Sure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, one of the one of the big things that I you know wanted to emphasize um, was fueling. Uh, when we fuel our boats mm-hmm. um, a lot of times if you get some you know uh, boaters out there may be relatively new you know the fact that you know the blower <laughs> needs to be on four minutes after you fuel uh, right. gas fumes are just so um, dangerous yeah. when you're when you're on a boat so one of the things I just wanted to emphasize was you know after after fueling you want to make sure that you're operating that blower for at least four minutes and then check with your nose <laughs> just around the boat if you smell anything um, just make sure that you're not you know starting that engine um, if you smell something give it a minute for the, the fumes to actually dissipate um, the other thing I really wanted to um, let everybody know if you don't know is effective April the 1st of 2010 uh, Maryland law states that all children under the age of 13 must wear a United States Coast Guard approved personal flotation device. So if you didn't know that, so that's make good. sure that those kids have a flotation device. Um, and that's while um, a recreational vehicle is underway. Um, so again, and then hmm. I, I want to also emphasize the fact that under the age of four, they actually specialize in a flotation device for those kids. Um, because they want to make sure there's a strap between their legs um, on that flotation device and that also there's an inflatable headrest because they have a hard time keeping their head above the water when they go in and then there's like a strap uh, like a handle where you could grab the child if they fell overboard and you could grab them from the vessel so there's actually a handle on the um, personal flotation device so there's like three specific things that they want you to have for those kids um, under the age of four um, so just want to make sure that when you go out on the boat with your family that you really are prepared for those um, emergency occasions. Right. Um, you know, and Coast Guard, you know, they'll go around and check to make sure that you're following that. And then the last thing um, in terms of um, law is that anyone born on or after July 1st of 1972 must possess a certificate of boating safety education in order to operate any motorized vehicle which when I researched this, I did not know that. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's a motorized vehicle. Yeah. Would that be even cons- would that be even be like a canoe or a kayak with the little electronic trolling motor on it? So I would say that you need to call Natural Resource Police Safety right, okay. Education Section and they you can call them at 410-643-8502 um, and They'll have, they can answer any questions, but you can also go online, natural resources, um, because there are some new, you know, nuances in terms of, I didn't want to get too specific, right. you know, during this, but, um, That's just okay. You're allowed to get specific. Just look it up before you go out and, and do and have, when you buy your vehicle, your boating vessel, just make sure that you checked all the laws before you get out there. Yeah, which I think is a big problem. A lot of people don't. Yeah. You know, or they don't take the boating safety courses, which yeah. I think is I key mean, that's, too. It's for your benefit. Yeah. It's for you and your family's benefit to do that safety course. Um, you know, can only be helpful. It, it's not put in, put on the books to, you know, prevent you from going out on the water. And it's they're just to offered. Make sure you can come they're offered everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It ain't just the Coast Guard that does it. I think and you know, some yeah. of the power squadrons and everything around yes. do it as well. You know, yeah. they, do, they do it at the libraries. I know my father used to teach a course, uh, and he 
it's it's definitely out there. And if you don't have the certificate, they'll actually fine you. So, Good. Yeah. You should pull your boat too. <laughs> yeah, as Ron, you just t touched on with the swimming, yeah. combining the boating with the alcohol. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and yeah. see, and that's the thing. How many people you know, go out to the flats or Maxwell Point? Anchored, you know, tied together, and they're they're just out there partying. I'm gonna have a lot of friends mad at me for this, but but it's true. And the other thing, this is why I will not go out on my brother's boat again. Yeah, you know, last time I went out, everybody's out there drinking. Well, when you're drinking, I mean, you forget about safety. What else do you forget about that we touched on first? Reapplying that sunscreen, you know, which is key. And that water is acting as a reflector. So that sun's just bam, and you're, I mean, I look like dehydration too. That too, yeah. Yeah, because the beer's not hydrating you. <laughs> I got out of that water, I thought, you like, know, they like called you touched on Richard in the water mm -hmm. with, uh, with unknown hazards. Mm -hmm. And don't count on those folks in that boat that have been consuming the alcohol yeah. to be keeping an eye on you. You can't yeah. you run into trouble out there. Oh, no. So it's, uh, be, what's he doing? <laughs> I mean, but and, and the other thing, I think it was last year or two years ago, um, and maybe over on the eastern shore, but somebody was crabbing and was bringing in the crabs, and one of the crabs cut his finger, mm -hmm. which ended up uh, he got some type of infection. Got passed away from it. Bonificus problem. <laughs> so you never know what yeah. some of these things in the water. You never know. You know, watch out for them snakeheads eating your toes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's generally a good rule. You know, you got open sores. It's probably a good idea to stay out. Stay of, out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but how many but people actually do? Probably not too many. But yeah. Anything else to add? No. That's anybody. Just make right, stay safe this summer. Enjoy your summer. Don't forget to put on the sunblock, sunscreen. Drink your water. Drink your water. The deep. I'm going to get the name wrong, so the other stuff, free your clothes to protect against ticks, what is it, Law? Starts with a P. Oh, don't even make me. <laughs> Permethrin. That's it, that's what I was going to say. Um, and the pools, and mosquitoes, other than that, everybody just, you know, have a safe, have a safe summer, but enjoy your summer, too. 